We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 176. Our guest today is a rider, trainer, clinician, author, podcast host, and a really interesting thing about her is she has found an amazing way to take decades of experience in classical dressage and combine that with her experience with natural horsemanship. And something that I feel like two things that can be very, very different from each other and found a way to really unlock this extra level of potential in her riding and in her horses to really kind of step up her game. A quote that she is known for is, never underestimate the possibility of things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. She is incredible. She has the book Dressage Naturally and offers clinics all over the world. She's going to be in Kentucky for Equitana USA this year, October 1st through 3rd. So another opportunity to get to know her more and hear more about what she has to say. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Karen Rolf. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. I love it. Joining podcasts. Yeah, (laughs) awesome. I love it. Well, I would love to hear about how you first kind of found yourself in the equestrian industry. Oh my gosh. Well, that goes <laughs> way back. Uh, the joke in our family was that my first words were, I want a horse, <laughs> you know, but then, then mom and dad. So the passion was there. It, I can't remember not, you know, wanting to be around horses. So, so it started really early. And when I was around seven, my mom actually had a horse for a couple of years. She had a horse when she was a kid and then she got, and then <laughs> apparently us kids took too much of her time. But I, I got a lot of opportunities to just go hang out with horses because she just kept them on a small private piece of property and I could just go down there and muck around with the horse. And so it just went from there to, you know, horse camps to, you know, my my parents finally relenting and um, getting me a horse when I was 12. Love it. And did, yeah, did pony club and a lot of running around unsupervised with my horse <laughs> doing crazy. Sometimes how you learn. <laughs> exactly. He was a sweetheart, that horse for the most part. So love it. It worked. When was your first kind of exposure to dressage? <laughs> now that is a funny story. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> so my, my very sweet horse that was, Oh gosh, I think it was like, you know, a $600 backyard it was a horse, you know, that's all yeah. I needed. It was, yeah. it was a horse. So I'll take him. But so I did pony club with him and our pony club got invited to do a junior hunt because on Long Island where I grew up, there was a, the Smithtown hunt. There was actually fox hunting. And so we went and, you know, we, I knew all the rules and everything, but yeah, after a couple hours of doing, you know, the, you know, rummaging through the, the forest and he was really good at that. The, the last part, they did a drag where they just have the scent and, you know, they just go. And I, I was so exhausted from kind of holding him back and he took off on me. And I remember passing 
the people in the red coats thinking, I'm not supposed to do that. And then I remember cutting through the hounds and I'm thinking, I'm really not supposed to do that. Oh my goodness. I was ragdolling. I mean, I just, I, I couldn't hold him. And so he took off and he just like woo, took off and the huntsman had to gallop after me, <laughs> grab him. No way. <laughs> no, and, he, and I'm always like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I could have had both hands on like one of the reins. I was leaning off the side trying to get him to turn. I mean, it was just crazy. Wow. So she, <laughs> this guy trotted um, me and my horse up to my mom, whose eyes were, you know, bugging out of her head. Oh, I'm sure. And, and he said, take this girl for dressage lessons so she can learn how to control her horse. And that's why I started wow. taking dressage lessons. I mean, we did a little bit in pony club, you know, which I didn't think of sure. dressage. It was just like steer around the, the right. silly arena, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's actually what started the process. So you started taking some dressage lessons and what was your experience with that? What was your kind of like first um, reactions with learning more within yeah. the dressage discipline? Yeah, I remember, and I wish I could find this. I wish I kept it, but somewhere in my multiple moves, I think I got thrown out. But I remember writing in my diary, and I remember drawing this out of like when I when I was I did like my first leg yield. And this is gonna sound crazy, but you know when you don't have the internet, you only know what's around you. Like I didn't know the horses could go sideways, <laughs> and yeah. I remember like drawing out this leg yield, like oh my god, I can ask my horse to go sideways, and he ended up being you know, pretty handy going sideways. So that, that was sort of like, wow. And the place that happened to be one of the only places that did dressage near me was Ann Gribbons on Long Island, who is, you know, right now she's one of the world's top judges. I mean, she's yeah. a pioneer in dressage. So it was her facility. So I'd go there and I'd look around. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, these are like, horses that made the team and I'm watching them prance around and I'm just like, Oh my God, <laughs> like yeah. what is going on here? Wow. And then, you know, so that, that started it. And, Anne also, I wasn't taking with Anne right away, but my instructor at one point got pregnant. And so she passed me on and Anne Gribbons just happened to have, he still does have a, has a real spot for young riders and I'll take the skinny kid. You know? <laughs> and then actually by this time, I'm skipping a bunch of years. I had, I had gotten a second, a, a, a different horse. I sold this little, my little starter horse to a friend and I got another horse who was actually a hunter jumper. And we started taking dressage lessons with Anne and we just kind of kept going. I didn't mean wow. to be a dressage trainer. That's so, I mean, what, at what point were you like, you know, taking lessons, doing your thing, learning more to then being like, I think I want to make this part of my career. Yeah. Well, it, you know, Anne was just, she's such a great teacher. And so I was doing pony club still. So I was really focused on eventing. So we were going, you know, the, up through my ratings with pony club and it gets to be, you know, like around prelim level. And every year we just keep, I kept doing what I was told and he'd advance up the levels in dressage. And, and there was one point where she's like, all right, he's preliminary eventing and pre-St. George dressage. She's like, you're not going to be taking an FEI horse running cross country over ditches. Like you've got to right. decide. And 
And at that point, I found myself galloping up to jumps going, so horse, if you want to jump, I'll stay on you. But if you don't want to jump, that's okay. And that's I thought, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to die. That's mm-hmm. not, I was like, I am not gutsy enough to do eventing past a certain level. So I just stuck to, to dressage and, and he, we ended up making the team for young riders and kind of just kept going. And even then I didn't, think I was going to do that as a career. I was in university. I have a bachelor's in biology and I was actually heading towards some scientific illustration. That's what I wanted to do because I love art and I love science. However, people kept paying me to ride their horses. And I, I kept, you know, I'm like, well, I can still do art, even not professionally, you know, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I did not come from a wealthy family. I'm like, but I can ride fancier horses than I can afford and get paid to do it. So it was sort of a gradual realization of I'm already seeming to have an income over here doing something that I'm incredibly passionate about. So let's just do that. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And it just, yeah. And then Anne invited, I was freelancing and then Anne invited me to come train out of her facility. And then all of a sudden I just, you know, had all this business and these amazing horses to be able to ride and to ride and train alongside her. So it was just one of those. How cool. How could I say no? Yeah. Amazing. Side note, is that your artwork on the cover of your book? Yes. And oh, inside yes. it. Yeah. Oh, so I did all the art. For that. Thank you. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about your book, Dressage okay. Naturally. How did you kind of decide that you wanted to create it and how long was the process? <laughs> yeah, the, the process started because after doing, you know, being a dressage trainer and, you know, successful enough in around the 90s, I started uh, dabbling in some, you know, whatever you want to call it, natural horsemanship. And so that quite accidentally, it wasn't because I had a problem horse. It was, I just sort of stumbled across it for a horse that was retiring and I wanted something cute and fun to do with them. But I started seeing the effects that it had on my results. So I immersed in it more and more. And then in 2003, went to Florida for the season for two months and never went home. Uh, it turned out where I landed quite accidentally where I landed in um, Florida for the winter was like seven miles down the road from uh, Pat and Linda Pirelli's place. And someone I knew that was a Pirelli instructor was like, you got to go meet them. And I said, I don't have time for this. And they said, no, you really have to go meet them. And when I did, they were just quite generous with me. And I think they were very intrigued that a dressage professional was even looking at <laughs> what they were doing. But yeah. I had seen... I'd seen the positive effects it had on my horses. So they invited me to kind of spend the winter with them and then follow them to Colorado. And, and I said, okay. And I never went home and I just jumped in. So after, you know, spending a couple of years immersing in that and really unwind, you know, taking a fresh look at everything that I was doing, because there was a lot of things that they were telling me that seemed really opposite than what I was sure. had learned before. So I, I just gave myself that time to immerse. And then I stepped back and I said, okay, I'm a professional. And now I don't, I need to figure out my system because there was no one to model. I didn't know anybody else who was doing dressage at that level and had all that knowledge from the horsemanship point of view. So I had to, I felt like I wrote the book for me. 
I had to go, okay, well, what is my system now? I wow. knew my dressage system. Mm-hmm. I knew the Pirelli system, but I didn't know how no one else was going from one to the other. So it was a matter of me going down and saying, okay, what am I doing? How did I make that decision? Why did I do that with that horse? And how do I know when it's time to switch and use some of my dressage knowledge? And when is it time to put the dressage knowledge aside and use some of this mental, emotional kind of knowledge? Uh, So that was the process of me figuring out what I was doing and in a way that I could then explain it to somebody else. Cause that's what I, if I couldn't explain it, then how am I going to be a dressage instructor? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the like natural horsemanship um, or mental, emotional components that you were learning that you felt like really translated perfectly that really like worked alongside your dressage training? Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you one of the most powerful ones was the first thing that I, that I learned, I went to, I took a retiring Grand Prix horse, kind of been there, done that steady Eddie bomb proof, which is just really words that mean shut down. (laughs) You know. So there's this guy and he was having soundness troubles and I thought, okay, I'll do something cute and fun with him. Right. So I'm at this level one probably clinic with a guy named David Lichman. And one of the first exercises, actually the first exercise was we stand there with a horse and wave our tools around. So wave the stick around. And, you know, some horses were freaking out at that. And my horse was kind of standing there. I'm like, yeah, whatever, big deal. I can wave my stick around. But then it was pointed out to me that he actually wasn't standing still. He was inch by inch kind of just creeping along. And I'm like, Ah. you know, that's no big deal, right? He's not exploding like that horse over there. But what I started to realize was that when I stopped waving the stick around, he'd stop. And when I started, he'd just do now what I, I call the zombie walk. And I it was the first time that I really saw the tension that was in this horse. He was just expressing it by going inside, shutting down, and kind of blank zoning out. Interesting. Yeah. And so, and this is a horse that was you know, would be described, I don't like describing horses this way, but he was like dead to the leg. He was, you know, some people would have called him lazy. He just, you know, one of those, you just feel like you have to push around. Um, So when I started seeing that as tension, it changed everything about my perspective around him. And then I was trying to make him feel better and be okay and trust me. And I looked at his life ahead before I got him, he was willed to me where he had been pushed and pushed and pushed. And of course he thought if someone picked up a stick, they're going to push him. And when I started just to change that and say, no, you can trust me. Like you don't need to do that. I'll let you know when it's time. When he finally really relaxed, not just stood still, you know, that's when that was the beginning of a shift in my what I was seeing, how I was interpreting what I was seeing. And that shift now over a little bit of time created a relaxation that actually opened him up and the sparkle in his eye came back. And he started offering more at the end of his career when he had soundness issues, after he'd been there, done that for so many people. Now he was like coming alive and offering more and more and more and more lightness. And it was through relaxation and trust and seeing it from his perspective and seeing his emotional state, even if it didn't make sense to me. 
So that's, yeah, that one. I mean, that just got my attention because I wasn't even looking for that. It wasn't, I didn't think anything was wrong. (laughs) And I was like, wow, what else am I missing? So that just, that got my attention. And I said, I have to, I have to learn more. What do you find is one of the most common things that you have during your clinics or with clients that they are kind of working through with their horse? Oh, I think there's such a range, but what I, what I end up really looking at the most, I think one of my specialties is really holding a microscope up to the communication between the horse and the rider. And this idea that at any one moment, in any instant in time, you're saying one thing to the horse. Now, if you're saying more than one thing, you need to narrow it down to one thing. So often when I'll tell, I'll ask students, it's like right now, if your horse could understand English, what would be one sentence that you would say to him? And the, and sometimes people have trouble figuring that out. And I go, okay, well, let's not ask anything of our horse until we can figure out <laughs> what are we trying to say? And, um, and so that process of getting it into a simple sentence, and then once you have that sentence, then you can go, okay, let's communicate to that to our horse, say the sentence, you know, using your body language or aids or whatever it is, and then let's assess, did he understand it? How did, how did it go? And if he got it right, did you let him know he got it right? And if he didn't get it right, did you let him know he didn't get it right? And could, could you help him find the answer? So I think simplifying the communication and really increasing the quality, simplifying and increasing the quality of the communication. And what is different, I think, with that is when students come to me and they might say, is this correct? Is this the right bend? And I, for me, I go, it doesn't, my first question to them is, is he doing what you're asking? Because if they're not doing what you're asking, who cares what it looks like? Right. There's like a, there's a bigger thing to solve. Right. So, and I think so many people have been told good when they're, it looks good, but they're wrestling with their horse. So they're being taught to do more disharmony. So, you know, when I give students permission to trust their instincts and to say, no, what are you asking? And can you go from silence to asking and then back to silence and have it be that clear and not just this bunch of controlling aids trying to hold everything together all the time. So mm. what was the question? No. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that I think is the most common thing yeah. of people coming to me with the kind of like, am I doing this right? Does this look correct? And I'm shifting it to um, what are you asking your horse? And is your, how is your horse answering you? Chances are, if you're listening to this, you are a full-fledged equestrian, and I love you for it, but who of us wouldn't want to experience a full weekend in Lexington, Kentucky at the Kentucky Horse Park where you can learn, you can be entertained, you can shop for all things equestrian industry? That sounds perfect, right? Well, this year, October 1st through 3rd, the Kentucky Horse Park is hosting Equitana USA, the very first Equitana event in the United States. It's a huge event over in Europe, so I am so happy that we now have one in the US. There will be 
trade shows. There will be amazing entertainment events. There will be some fantastic clinics with some of our top trainers and riders in the industry. So to find out more information and to grab your tickets while you can, visit their website at EquitanaUSA.com. That's E-Q-U-I-T-A-N-A-U-S-A.com. Again, those dates are October 1st through the 3rd at the Kentucky Horse Park. Tickets are as low as $27 for adults, $10 for kids, and you can audit clinics. You can see everything you need to see at this amazing weekend event. You can also be a part of the clinics as a rider. Um, So find out more information on their website and how you can get plugged in in that way as well and get the full experience at Equitana USA. Again, that website is EquitanaUSA.com. All right, let's head back to the episode. I know you also have a special bridle, the Dressage Naturally Bridle, and it doesn't have a nose band. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that, as well as your thoughts on a bitless bridle. Because obviously those are, you know, probably things that you didn't necessarily grow up having, or um, maybe once you started getting into dressage and, and understanding mm-hmm. that, that's not something you see every day. So tell me a little bit about those. Sure. Yeah. And actually I did grow up bitless and bridless. Yeah. I was like, and now I was like, as I was saying that, I'm like, you honestly, you probably did, but (laughs) yeah, which is, which is really a gift. I said, I'm glad I survived, but you know, in my mom sending me down there by myself, I did all kinds of stuff. Um, Yeah. So, and that's part of, you know, this, why I think I took to the natural horsemanship or whatever you want to call it, because it was like, Ooh, this reminds me of when I was a kid. Yeah. So when I start my horses, I start them all without a bit. I start them just in the rope halter. And so because I start them without a bit, I know what they feel like without a bit. And then I know the effect that a bit has. And there's some horses that when you put a bit in their mouths, they feel completely different than without a bit. And you can really do a little science experiment of, is this a bit problem or not? And I can take the bit off and put it back on and see the difference. So some horses really don't like the feel of a bit on their tongue. They just don't like snaffles. So a horse that I have now, a couple horses, they're like really nice in the connection. They're solid. They're round. You put a bit in their mouth, they suck their tongue up their throat, trying to get it off of their, you know, the bit off their tongue. And they curled up and behind the leg and like avoiding the contact, take the bit off They're they're perfect. So it's, I find, you know, once I started them without the bit, then I could really feel differences when I put the bit on. And I felt like it's not just a given, it's a choice. And I like my horses to be educated with the bit and most of them accept them, but the ones who don't, I'm not competing now, so they don't have to, (laughs) you know, it's gotta be a tool for a, a positive purpose. If that horse says, this is going to handicap you because I, I hate it. Fine. (laughs) So that, and then, um, kind of, so when I was looking for bitless bridles, you know, I, I, you do, can do a lot in the rope halter, but I wanted a kind of nicer looking one. I realized that a lot of bitless bridles out there have, you have to tighten the nose band or else if you use one rein more the other, sometimes they twist and then the cheek piece gets up close to the eye. And I really didn't like that look. So I kind of redesigned and made my own bitless bridle for me where the nose band could be really loose. And it's still, even if it 
you really use only one rein, it, the cheek piece will never go near the eye. So I did that. And also in riding horses with a bit, I stopped using a noseband because I couldn't figure out why I would want to use a noseband. <laughs> so, you know, a purpose of a noseband in dressage is to keep the horse's mouth shut. And for me, I'm saying, well, why is the horse's mouth opening in the first place? And why don't we solve that? So sure. I realized that the noseband was covering covering up some information. So I I designed my own bridle because I didn't want to, I had to keep buying these uh, dressage bridles and then throwing away the noseband, which is the most expensive piece. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, so I, I created the, my my bridle and it's modeled a little bit after some of the style of the bitless bridle, just in the way the throat latches kind of move forward. It doesn't go in their throat. It sits over the jawbone. Um, so it doesn't go in the throat. And you know, I just think it looks nice, but it's an option for people yeah. who don't want to use nosebands. For people that you work with now, or if you are working with a horse that you didn't start and you're maybe intrigued or you have a client intrigued about trying a dressage naturally bridle or a bitless bridle, how do you go about kind of making that transition? And what kind of horse do you feel like would be a good a good option for something like that? And what ones would you be like, mm, probably not the best fit? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. The, the, when I think about from a dressage point of view, you know, when I think about the con, you know, contact and being on the bit is such a big subject, but I, for me, there's three purposes of the reins. And one is it's just another point of connection in this circuit of energy. Another purpose of the reins is to feel stuff. So if you're riding without reins and then you shorten your reins, you can actually feel imbalances in the horse's body through the reins. You know, if your right rein gets a little heavier, you can tell, oh, my horse is leaning, you know, to the left or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the third purpose is for subtle communication about the position of the head at the end of the neck. And so if you're using your reins for anything other than those three things. That's what I, I like to address that. So, and where that came about was from riding bridleless, riding without anything. And I realized that everything else I can do bridleless. So, when do I put the reins on when I want to experience any of those three things to be a little more subtle and precise about the position of the head or neck or to create the circuit of energy in this connection and contact you know, or to feel more stuff and get even more precise about their balance. So if you're having, if I have a student who's having um, trouble with speed issues and they're having to use the reins because the horse is always going too fast or, or turning issues and they're ending up with too much contact in one rein or the other because their horse isn't turning or if they're falling, you know, leaning in or leaning out or anything other than those three purposes, then I go, wait, Let's, let's minimize what we're doing with our reins. So when I think about transitioning to bitless, I'm, I'm thinking transition to bridleless. <laughs> yeah. And let's just, let's just figure out how we can just not use the reins for so many things. Just use them for just things that we need. Then when you put the reins back, it matters less what's at the other end of the reins. Bit, not, as long as horse is comfortable. 
right? Because there's just fewer things to have to deal with. If you want to just transition, one of the easiest ways I think is I I use my bitless bridle and then I hang a bit also. So we have a little bit hanger. And so you can have a set of reins on the bitless part and you can have a set of reins on the bit. And one way you can do it is go out and start riding like you normally ride, thinking about how much you're using the reins or not. And in the moments where you're thinking, wow, this feels really good, my horse, I'm not having to overuse my reins, then you slowly loosen the reins attached to the bit and you take up the reins attached to the bitless and you just see how it goes. And I'd say most horses adjust to that very, very easily unless there's a problem where you're, you've been overusing your reins with a bit for speed control or turning or balancing or any of these other things. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. In terms of speed and looking at kind of changing the, the narrative for um, the use of the reins and trying to rely on other aids to adjust that pace, what do you usually walk your students through if, you, if they do have a horse that is, tends to move too quickly? Yeah, I think one of the first distinctions is to know whether you are in communication versus control mode. So I always strive for communication, but I am able to control. But the if I'm using controlling aids, then it's a choice. So, you know, you're out, you're going cross country, your horse is going too fast. Mm-hmm. All right, you might control that. Like there's not time for a training session there. You're going to use what works to control your horse, but you're conscious. I'm controlling things right now, meaning that if those reins break, I'm out of control. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you want to be conscious of when you're controlling and controlling aids can be very refined, but there's still this feeling of, oh, I hope the reins don't break, you know, that feeling. But if you're building communication, then that means at home you're practicing purposely not controlling. So a typical exercise, if I have a student with a horse that's going way too fast and I keep saying, you know, loosen the reins or do a self-carriage check and the horse zips off and they're stuck in this, I can't loosen the reins because my horse is taking off. Then one of my favorite exercises, I set up a little box with jump poles. So picture 12, you know, four 12 foot jump poles in a box, but they're kind of spread out. So there's spaces in the corners. You can ride through it. Mm-hmm. The corners aren't touching. And inside the box, we relax. And I say, just head out and imagine you're going at the pace that you'd like to go at. And then if your horse goes over a threshold of like, "Mm, that's too fast for me, then you make a corner and head back through the middle of the box. And as soon as they're in the box, you just relax and let them do what they want. And if they zip out, then and go over the speed you want, then you quickly turn back. And this might look in the beginning like you turn and then you drop the reins and you turn and drop the reins and turn and turn and turn and turn and turn yeah. every two strides. And I say, if, you're, if your horse is going the pace you want, then you just do, you go to active neutral, long focus and make the lines be really nice and easy. So it's, this is an exercise that does not control the horse things are pretty messy for a little while, but it gives the horse some choices. And the idea is that balance will feel good to both parties. And the horse really ultimately wants to be left alone. And the horse gets to, you do the exercise until the horse changes and says, you know what, 
I think I'll just stay at this pace. So the horse zips off. Oops, too fast. Turn, sharp corner. And it's almost like you're making a corner that throws them off balance so that they have to regain their balance. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just kind of go turn really sharp. And a lot of times students say, but my horse isn't balanced. I have to set them up for the turn. No, just tell them to turn. (laughs) And if you're turning, communication doesn't work. Then we review that so that you have it. You go, oh, turn now. And the horse has to kind of, you know, set themselves up of like, whoa, I got to like balance myself because this crazy lady might turn me left or right. Right. Yeah. And when they do, there's this little moment where they'll, it's not like they stall out, but they kind of, they find a balance point. And after a few repetitions of this, you might find two strides in a row that are like, oh, that nice hunter jumper rhythmic pace, right? You know, and then they zip off and then you go turn, turn, turn back in the box. And then they go four. Whoa, those were nice four strides and Mm -hmm. you give them a nice long line. And pretty soon they realize that they can change something in themselves and everything just gets easier and more comfortable. So yeah. it's it's teaching the horse, I'm not going to control you. You have all the room in the world to make whatever choice you want. And and the, the communication about turning is a split second in time, you leave them alone. And it's really interesting to see how long it takes some horses. Some horses, it takes a long time, the first session. But the second session will take half that time. And then yeah. often it changes really fast. And it's one of those exercises that if you go all the way through the process, you let, and sometimes they try harder to go faster after a little while <laughs> and yeah. it gets worse before it gets better. But if you go all the way through that process, you'll have that exercise in your pocket. And on a, you know, two years later, the wind picks up, it's a nice fresh day and your horse gets a little impulsive again. You make like three turns and they're like, oh yeah, yeah got it. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it. And it's totally fair because you're giving them the opportunity to really figure it out. I so love that's an that. example of like a mental, it's a mental exercise, but it's, it's, you're riding out the emotional wave of their impulsiveness. Yeah, that's amazing. With Equitana right around the corner, the first weekend in October, I know that you're going to be involved. So tell me a little bit about that relationship with Equitana USA and what you plan on doing there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. This is my first time doing it. So I was really thrilled to be invited. And I, I will be doing a couple sessions with riders focusing on healthy bio, how to find healthy biomechanics. And in a way, kind of like I was describing before, where I really focus on getting the communication between the horse and rider really clear on three basic conversations about relaxation, energy, and balance, and how when we get those communications around those conversations good, now we can affect their posture and we can find that optimal let loose balance, free moving posture where it feels easy to the horse and the rider fairly quickly and where the rider is confident to duplicate it. So that's just my favorite subject. That's so, so we'll cool. Be, yeah. I'll be and doing I know, that. I know everyone can um, stay and walk who mm-hmm. attend, but then I know there, there, there may still be some spots available for people to be a part of the clinic. 
Yeah, I think they're just starting. This is a little bit of a mystery to me, but they're they're just starting to take applications for the riders. So I nice. told them what kind of riders we're looking for. And somewhere there's a link where riders can go apply and then submit videos. And then we'll be, I'll, you know, me and my team will be selecting the riders. So yes, if, you know, oh, so exciting, seek that out and come see me at my booth. And yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be super awesome. I'll make sure on the page about you on the podcast website that we have a link if people are interested in applying. Great. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, tell me about an area of the industry that you are really passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian world maybe just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. That's such a great question. And, and it's making it's a big it's, it's a good. big part of what you do anyway. But yeah, no, I mean, really, the I think the piece is kind of what I've already talked about. My, I mean, my real passion piece is the honoring the relationship between the student and their horse, and to remember, you know, why most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us got into horses in the first place, presumably because we like really love horses. Mm -hmm. And for me, my goal is to wake up every day feeling like I did when I was seven. And I ran down to like, play with my horses. Like that's, that's the feeling. And I've seen so many amateur riders trying to do the right thing and trying to follow the role of, you know, the model of their, their professionals. And sometimes something gets lost, you know, the the horses start getting talked about as commodities and, you know, they're when, especially when they get more expensive and they're a vehicle. And I've seen some, lots of amateurs come to me maybe after they started as a kid in love with horses and they finally got their horse and then they did the right thing and they tried to hire the right trainer and go to the best barn. And then they somehow find me And when I start highlighting the relationship again, they burst into tears. Mm. So there's a piece there with in some professional situations, not all for sure, but in some where, you know, the in being professional and there's something is lost. And I, I know when I, you know, as a professional myself and for a while, I didn't have my own horse and I, had to be a little bit detached from the horses I was training because they weren't mine. But when I got this horse I discussed earlier, the one I talked took to the Prelly Clinic, his nickname was Bubba, this kind of used up shut down horse. And he was mine. He was willed to me. So it was the first horse I had owned in a long time. And when I started doing this other stuff with him, I started became, becoming quote unquote, less professional you know, because I go in the middle of the dressage facility and ride around bareback right. in a halter, yeah. you know, yeah. waving yeah. stuff around. When I allowed myself to become less professional and and allow myself to have that relationship with him again, that's when everything changed. And that's when the results got better. My dressage results got better. And I thought, there's just this piece missing of what we call professional and what we call correct And I think we need to have a little more wiggle room for freedom for students to realize their dreams. So 
you know, there's so many barns that are like, this is the way we do it. And if you do it other than this way, you don't fit in and you're mocked or you can't do that. And I have students come to me and I say, it's not your role as a student to be a good dressage naturally student. Like you tell me your dream and let's see how what I can do, what I know can help you. But feel free to be more amazing than anything I can ever teach. And to be, you and your horse have something more special that even I don't understand. But if I can help you Mm -hmm. realize your dream, that's what I'm here for. And I think a lot of students are trying to fit into a system and be correct and and right and not be wrong Mm -hmm. and not fail. And that's stupid or yeah. yeah. And I think that gets in the way between the relationship of the rider and the horse. So the horse is just going, how am I doing mom? That's what the horse is saying. How am I doing mom? They don't really care. The horse does not care who you're taking lessons with. They just want to know, what do you want me to do? Did I do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. That's really focus on. And um, yeah, to bring the relationship back. Right. Yeah. I think something, right. I think something that you said really resonated was the idea that like, not, not only do they just want to please you, they just, you just need to give them, you know, that clear direction so that they know Mm -hmm. what they should be doing. But I think just having that some of us, you know, in a, in certain programs, you just get so caught up in like, this is, this is how I tell my horse to do this instead of, you know, kind of having that conversation back and forth with your horse and giving them the options. Because I think kind of like what you were saying, once you can let them have options and realize what that, that, that balance actually feels better and feels more natural to them, that they can really kind of perform even better than you kind of forcing them into something because that's what you know as the correct or right way to do things. Exactly. And and that's so hard in the dressage world because it is so precise. Right. You know, but to play with that, well, I have a, a quote that says, precision arrives out of the possibilities that play creates. And so there's a difference between playing and then finding this magical spot that then you gain consistency about. And that's very different than keep your aids on. Don't let them fall out that Mm -hmm. shoulder. Hold your, you know, there's a big, it's like light years away from controlling it. So no mistakes are made or playing with it and then refining your practice. So you end up consistent and precise. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through some things from your book and your programs that you offer. I'm so excited for um, those of us who will be able to attend Equitana to learn even more from you in person. But I just think you are doing some amazing things and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Well, it's, of course, a subject I am happy to talk about. And if anybody wants to find any more, I'm really easy to find Dressage Naturally. And the website's dressagenaturally.net, but it's I'm very Googleable. So come on over and you can get some free, we'll send you some free videos if you want from my website. And uh, yeah, happy to have you check it out. There's a lot of good information on my website itself. So if anybody wants to poke around a little bit more, feel free. 
All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.